Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and uh, today I'm excited to have Jacob Hancher, who's the CEO of Digital Dream Labs, an edtech company based in Pittsburgh. Um, Jacob serves as an advisor and investor in many startup companies in uh, uh, Western PA and uh, Jacob received his PhD in 2007 from UCLA where he focused on research in neurology, neurological sciences. Uh, now, welcome to the show, Jacob. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, um, how did you get the idea for Digital Dream Labs and uh, what is the product all about? Okay, so this project started as a research project. Uh, after I received my uh, PhD at UCLA, oh. I, I got my uh, MBA from Tepper at Carnegie Mellon. Oh, wow. And this started as a uh, collaboration between uh, two students who were at the Educational Technology Center, ETC, and I learned about their project through a friend. Uh, they were two technologists, uh, Matt and Justin, and they had a museum display, so that's when I started getting involved. And this museum display worked essentially kind of like a checkout counter at your grocery store. There were blocks, and there were uh, underneath these blocks, they could be read via uh, infrared. So there was a very large table we had at the Children's Museum in Pittsburgh, and then also out in Texas. And you could move these blocks around, and it would be an interactive display uh, for kids. So you could think of arranging the letters of the alphabet, or having the president's own order, or, or things like that. It was a really big hit, and the feedback we received was, boy, we really wish we could take this home with us. It was kind of the feedback. So then um, that year, um, Digital Dream Labs applied to an incubator program here in Pittsburgh called Alpha Lab, uh, received some investment from a, a seed fund called Innovation Works, and the rest is history. We launched the product on the shelf in 2015 and have been selling the product ever since. And the product eventually became known as Puzzlets. And so it's, a, it's an RFID interface that sends data packages to external devices. So you can play various games and move characters on a screen using these puzzle pieces. So it's a tangible interactive console essentially. Interesting. And uh, you know, uh, you're focusing on STEM education, right? Which is uh, which is critical to to student learning. Uh, but uh, what I've seen is over the years, you know, science, technology, engineering, math uh, is is what you know a lot of students are not uh, focusing on. Do you think there's been a decline in the in the interest, uh, especially in the United States, in the last uh, couple of years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why, so I'm a scientist myself, and yeah. I, in my class at UCLA, I was the only American. Was and then on the entire floor where I worked, which had hundreds of people, I was the only American. And it just showed me that there's a lack of prioritization in our country. You know, the, the, what makes our world better is an emphasis on understanding science and coming up with innovations. And 
that's part of the motivating factor for us to focus on STEM education in the United States is to uh, encourage and promote this idea of STEM in the schools and then to have science be fun and entertaining at the same time so that way students will make it part of their, their life, uh, hopefully for their entire career. Right. And, uh, you know, what, and what could be the cause of, you know, people not, uh, you know, students not taking interest, uh, you know, is it, uh, is, is it like, uh, you know, foreign students from India and China focusing more on such sort of education or, uh, you know, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, so I think we've boiled it down to fear uh, and, and just the, the, the intimidation of uh, algebra. Uh, there have been a number of studies conducted to try to answer what you just asked, and it's, it's a very complicated question, but mm-hmm. the theme seems to be that if, if you become good at algebra in, in, in middle and high school, you, you enjoy science. If you're bad at algebra, you basically you base, you, you learn to hate science. And so what we've been focusing on is trying to introduce scientific topics in a way that removes intimidation so that it makes it more accessible. I think in the U.S. especially, I mean, when I was growing up, I was always the smart kid because I understood science. And I think that's kind of, it's not necessarily true, right? I, we're all scientists in our own right. We experiment and we do various things. You could think of a chef being a scientist, putting together a recipe. Uh, I think science is a lot more accessible than what we've been led to believe. And part of that is our philosophy that we try to make science a lot more accessible and less intimidating with our with our programming and applications. Right, and uh, you you talk about puzzlets, uh, so uh, which is I, th- I believe one of the one of the main products, and um, uh, uh, so it's it's a hand hands on learning system uh, for uh, where you use toy puzzle pieces. So is it is it like a video game or uh, and a separate pro- product altogether? Right. So we started off. Well, we called it fifty fifty play. So fifty percent of the time you're in the world, real world using the tray, and the other fifty percent of the time you're on the application on an iPad. Uh, we had a collaboration with uh, Wonder Workshop where our board would sync with their robot to teach robotics, and that removed the screen. Uh, so that that's the primary focus is puzzlets, but we also have just games. We have all games that are on the puzzlet we call the play tray. All those games are also on the internet, and you can play them and download them individually without the hardware necessarily. But what we what we found is that children really like the uh, puzzle piece aspect of our platform, and it actually increases engagement and excitement. Right, and you know, before before the call, I was talking about my journey in, into startups, and I started off with, with an eight tech company called Iprof, and uh, we 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 had a we had a product which uh, you know it was a uh, targeted towards uh, you know students who've done the A levels and they wanted to prepare for uh, for higher education, but a lot of these products uh, were was outsourced from China. So so are you also you know when it comes to uh, to the products that you. Uh, 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 the interactive video games. Are you also sourcing all these products from uh, from China? So we we make 
uh, all the video games we design in-house. So I have three artists, two programmers, and, um, and a couple support staff that we make all of our games. We make we make about one game every six months is kind of our average pace. Uh, so we, we do all that in-house, all the design work, all the uh, engineering, CAD drawings, uh, printed circuit board assembly, all that is also done in the States. Uh, but then, yeah, we have an OEM in in uh, Shenzhen, China, who makes basically makes the product for us, um, and everything is done under one roof uh, over there. Okay, and uh, uh, you, you know who are the, who are your competitors? You know, who are trying to uh, you know target the same market. Right. Uh, so it seems like every day there's a Kickstarter that has another product that's going to compete with ours. Um, I would say that the closest competitor is Osmo because of their screen interface and their applications are somewhat similar. Uh, the issue that they have, though, is you have to have a camera or a camera system. So they are isolated to the iPad or to the Amazon Fire because you have to have a stand and you have to have a, a camera. With our product, we you can go on pretty much anything. We're almost platform agnostic. Um, and we in our most recent games, we're running on WebGL. So you could also say the Tinker, uh, because now we have software-only versions of games, um, could be a competitor as well. And then there are just let's say in general there are guys and gals out there who are teaching something and i guess you could see those as competitors so let's say like little bits or ozbot uh, might also be considered uh, not a direct competitor but maybe an indirect competitor right and, and you know i could see that uh, you've you've done more than a million dollars in in, in sales and uh, you've also uh, you know got a type a lot of uh, schools uh, and a lot of lot of other you know places so uh, you know when, when it comes to partnerships you know how, how do you how do you go about uh, partnering with all these internationals and US schools uh, or do you, do you have a, a team which looks into into such partnerships yeah so for the most part we've been growing up till now by word of mouth uh, we're essentially bootstrapped. We, we never got a lot of capital in the, in the business in the first place. So we've grown organically. Um, now that we have enough momentum and the Republic has been, the Republic site has been very helpful in generating even more momentum. And the capital from that has allowed me to hire an actual sales team because for the most part, we've been just doing inbound sales. And of course, the cost of customer acquisition has been very, very low in comparison to the lifetime value of the customer. So now, now we're in a position where we can start getting aggressive in our expansion and start uh, accumulating more schools as clients. And I now I have an official sales team that, to handle that role. Right, and you know, you know, you're talking about the customer acquisition. Uh, uh, and uh, and the lifetime values. Is, is it okay to share the numbers and what 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 are your customer acquisition costs and uh, you know the, yeah, sure. the I've, I've been very very open about this. It's posted on the Republic page. So it, it, again, approximately speaking, our cost of customer acquisition historically has been a hundred dollars, and then the lifetime value. And keep in mind, this is a school district, so 
So it's about $34,000. So you can see that that ratio is way out of whack. Right. Uh, we have to start, we have to start increasing our, our marketing spend and our sales spend in order to penetrate the market more. So that's, that's exactly what we're doing. Oh, so, so you think the customer acquisition cost is $100, but the life value is $34,000? Correct. Oh, wow. Okay. Got I it. Know, and, I know. I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but, but uh, this, when you talk about lifetime value, how, this for how many years? I mean, what is the average uh, you know, cycle for that lifetime cycle? Yeah, the short answer to that question is we don't know. Uh, I don't have enough data to give you... Um, enough of an answer, but I can tell you that we've had products in the field now at school districts for five years. So okay. I don't, I don't have, I don't have an, an, a, a really good number to, to give you other than it seems like uh, school districts will buy our product and for, and use it for at least three years. And over the course of those three years, we'll buy additional stuff. Uh, but there's still a lot more work we need to do in order to really understand the cycles and the, and the actual lifetime value. But so what I'm giving you is, a, is an approximation. Okay, got it. And, and when you talk about, you know, customer acquisition channels, uh, you know, uh, other than word of mouth, what, what are the, you know, channels are you using to, uh, to acquire these, these customers? The most effective channels we found are direct email campaigns and Twitter. And I was really surprised about Twitter, but in the U.S. especially, I think their teachers talk to each other over Twitter a lot and they share notes and they're always talking about best practices and, um, and things like that. And so our name will come up in discussions and that essentially acts as a, as a marketing arm for us. Okay. And, and, you know, uh, if I may ask, how, how do you do, get your first thousand users on board? So how we did that, um, yeah, so when we got our first thousand users, I'm thinking we, we did a combination of sales on Amazon and then direct sales uh, through our, our uh, e-commerce site. So what we did is uh, we got established locally first. Um, we use so for example, Pittsburgh public. So there's, there's, there is, there are 37, no wait, 47, 47 school districts in Allegheny County. So the county is the municipality that surrounds Pittsburgh. So there's about a million people who live in this general area. Uh, so we partnered with a, a sports team called, uh, they're a hockey team called uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. And they essentially helped buy a lot of our products and then gave these products to these various schools. Once we got into those schools, they they liked the product so much, they started referring us to many people in their networks. As an example, there's a school district called Avonworth. Avonworth belongs to the, the League of Innovative Schools, which is a network across the United States. So once we got their endorsement, we found our ways into the League of Innovative Schools, which has hundreds of school districts in it, and and so forth. Uh, there's also um, uh, school districts like Baltimore, for example, that are in uh, kind of like a, a remake learning environment. So there's this movement called Remake Learning, and there are a lot of schools that are considered uh, 
so again, um, we, we were able to network our way into these organizations and then promote our product. And that's essentially how we got our first thousand users with that strategy. Oh, interesting. And you know, are you, are you doing something differently for the, for the app downloads? So the app downloads are free, but we have now, uh, there are some schools that have told us, look, we can't have hardware and it has to be a screen experience. We just can't mess around with the hardware. So we've come up with new applications that you can download that don't have the hardware. So we've taken the, the play tray and we've virtualized it. So instead okay. of putting the puzzle pieces in manually, now you can use a mouse and you can uh, click and drag and drop. And it basically does the same thing, and it plays the game the same way. So that's pro those are our newest releases. We already have those available. We're testing those right now with schools to make sure that it's it's working the way the students want it. But then we're we're going to wide release that here pretty soon. Right, and, and and Jacob, you know, you you have a SaaS model with uh, with a hardware component to it. So, um, uh, you know, and and for. Uh, Towner only games, you know, the margins are really high. But but what is the kind of churn churn rate, which is which is for for most of the products? So with school districts, the churn rate is almost zero. Uh, it's very 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 low. Uh, once we're in a school district, uh, we find that we only increase the number of sales. And if there's an issue, usually the internal tech person is pretty good at, at resolving them, or we're able to jump in and, and resolve it. With retail, the churn rate, the, re the churn, there's a return rate and then a churn rate. So in retail, I would say our return rate is about 2%, which is pretty low. Usually there's a 5 to 10% allowance for most products in retail. And then the churn rate, I would say, uh, with, with users who have, who have used it before, um, I would say that's probably, you know, six or seven percent. Uh, but the, the churn happens because the kids grow up and they stop using it, right? right. Uh, so what we've been trying to do is come up with more games that are for older kids so that way you can keep using the product for the entire educational experience. And that's, that's really what we've been focusing on. So our, our most recent game that we're, we've made is called uh, Monstrous Molecules, and that teaches chemistry for middle school students. So we're thinking that expanding this platform will help us uh, reduce churn rates. Right, and uh, you know you, you've uh, used a crowdfunding platform uh, like Republic, and uh, you know that's that's how uh, I got to know about the product because I'm, I did also invest into into your company through that platform. But uh, but why didn't you go through a, a a normal VC or angel round uh, rather than go to a crowdfunding platform like, like Republic and uh, or, or what, what, are your, what is your what is your goal uh, uh, through uh, going through the crowdfunding platform? Oh, well, it's not from a lack of trying. I mean, I must have talked to about 100 different VC and uh, angel firms across the United States. Right. What, what happened in, in so what happened is that the the um, EdTech market got really, really hot and really, really interesting in 2015. And so we were just starting to launch in 2015. The mm -hmm. issue is when we started, when we got the revenue, we got established and we were in a good place. By the time we started approaching uh, venture capitalists, 
they already had a company like us in their portfolio. So they would have like, they would say like, look, I already have Osmo in my portfolio. Or, hey, I already have Tinker in my portfolio. Like I, we're only doing one, one of these deals, you know, if, if at all. So that was one of the issues that, and what happened is some other companies that um, failed for one reason or another, um, like, uh, oh, what's the name of the company? Um, uh, it's, it was, it was a screen application. They put stuff on the screen and it taught, let it taught letters and things like that. Um, I'll think of it in a second, but the, some of those companies like that failed and mm. the investors got burned. So that put a really bad taste in their mouth. And they said, you know what? We're just not investing in ed tech. We don't want to touch it. It just doesn't interest us. Uh, we'd rather just not even deal with it. So that's that, those are two things I was fighting. And I spent a lot of time trying to explain what we were doing. And then the crowdsourcing laws changed in the United States. And then at last, I felt like, okay, now I can talk to the people directly and we can raise some money and, and continue our efforts and expand our efforts. So that's what led me to the Republic site. Right, and, and uh, you know, you, you uh, I think you've already raised uh, more than six hundred thousand dollars. And what is what are your uh, plan to use the money for? So the weakness from uh, the weakness our company has had from day one, and we've known this forever, is marketing, marketing, marketing. Right. Uh, one of the one of the major advantages Cosmo or the other companies have had, our competitors have had against us is that they have these amazing Silicon Valley banked budgets that uh, they can spend a lot of marketing dollars on it. And so that's really what I anticipate doing is that we're going to spend a lot more money on, on sales and marketing in order to expand our reach and then improve our revenue. And uh, that's, that's exactly what I intend to do with, with the money. Right. And, uh, you know, Jacob, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, I worked in a tech company and, uh, uh, and I'm from India. So, so the Indian culture was very different because by the time we were trying to solve the problem, uh, we figured out that, uh, uh, since, uh, Indian children take their own time to become independent, uh, we assumed that they were the decision makers, but by the time we got into the market, we, we figured out that the parents were the real decision makers uh, in, in a country like India, and they get to decide, you know, uh, if, the, if the product should be bought or not. And uh, that led to, uh, that was one of the reasons why the tech company did not work out in India. And uh, Byjuice, which uh, which was a new company, has done a pretty good job in trying to solve the problem. But I, I want to understand what are the kind of uh, challenges an edtech company uh, faces because uh, the, the couple of edtech uh, companies which is which is not uh, done done well uh, and it's it's a difficult market to be in like sharp scholar uh, which which is a uh, in class assessment tool which uh, uh, which was a known name but had to shut down so you know what are the challenges uh, for an edtech company and, and what should a uh, what should a CEO of a tech company do in order to make sure that, you know, the company survives? Yeah. Well, you, what you stated is it happens in the U S too. Um, a lot of these purchasing decisions are driven by the parents or teachers. Right. Uh, and you know, the, the, the kids are kind of secondary. It would take a, a kid like really, really wanting something and, and talking about talking to the parent a lot in order to convince the, the parent to do it. Now you can imagine how difficult that is. 
you have to get a child so excited about something that they then have to get their parent excited about it. So from a marketing perspective, you really have to get the parent passionate and excited. So uh, my recommendation would be to make it very focused on the teacher or the parent and then think about the excitement of the kid maybe secondary. Uh, one, thing, one thing that was major for us, the reason why we have so much adoption in schools is that we really solve a major problem that teachers have. And the teachers have, um, you know, they're being forced more and more at younger and younger grades to introduce these scientific topics, to start introducing coding and other complicated things. And the teachers don't understand this. They were never trained. And really, you know, they shouldn't have to be trained. Nevertheless, they're getting more of these mandates put on them. So what we do essentially is that we make it a lot easier for these schools and these teachers to teach these topics to the children. And so essentially we're helping the teacher and then of course then we're helping the student. And then once, once the teacher sees how much the students love the product, then we stay. And so that's, that's kind of, that's what's really helped us going forward in a lot of these school districts is, uh, the ability to get the teacher excited and then the, because the kids like the product, then they want the product to stay in the school. Got it. And uh, did you, are you also hiring teachers to, uh, to, you know, guide you and get, get you more feedback and get more credibility uh, for your team? Yes. Yeah, so, so we have, we have a lot of teacher advisors, uh, a lot of uh, PhD EDs who advise us in, while we design the games. What we do, rather than just coming up with a game on our, on our own, what we'll, we'll do what's called playtesting. We'll design a game and we'll have kind of the wireframe. And then I'll take these games into schools and various places and then just let the children play with it. And then they'll be very honest in their feedback. And then we'll ask the teachers, what do you think? And they're also very honest in their feedback. So after we do this a couple times, we end up with an, a very educational game that also is a lot of fun to play. And that's, that's how we design these games. Right. And uh, I wanted to know, you know, who are your current investors and who's in your team uh, or currently, or are you the only founder? Right. So I'm the only founder. Um, the, I'd say the most notable investor who doesn't mind being identified is uh, Tim Chen. So right. Tim Chen uh, was former CEO of Microsoft China and also uh, CEO of um, oh, um, the MBA in China there for a while. He's now a board member on Foxconn. And so he helps us uh, in case we need it with the manufacturing side or, or things like that. Uh, we, of course, we have Alpha Lab and Innovation Works, those two seed companies uh, I was telling you about. And then we have a number of private angels who are involved in the company. I'm the largest investor. And then we have, um, and then from a uh, yeah, board perspective, we're set up as an LLC and I'm the managing member. Oh, you're set up as an LLC, is it? Yeah, yeah, we're set up as an LLC, at least for now. Oh, okay, got it. All right, so I quickly want to do the top three. What's, what's your favorite business book? Uh, I'm sorry? Uh, what's your favorite business book? Favorite business book? That's a good question. <laughs> you know, some of the classics I really like, like Think and Grow Rich. That book's almost 100 years old now. 
but I, what I really like about it is that he goes and interviews many people and builds up a very holistic view of business and business relationships. So that's probably one of my favorites. Got it. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started working uh, uh, on your business, what is the one thing you would have focused on? I would have hired a chief marketing officer. I would have really built a marketing team that really understood um, internet marketing, cost per clicks, uh, and, and really focused on becoming experts in online marketing. That way we wouldn't have been so dependent on third parties because when we first got going, we were relying on all these third parties to act as distributors and we lost a lot of money in margin that we should have really kept for ourselves. And if I had had a good marketing team, I would have had the confidence uh, in our e-commerce versus having third party vendors. So that's, that, was, that would be the one major uh, change I would have done. Right. And, and do you have any favorite online tools, for example, uh, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? I like GitHub. Uh, not GitHub. I mean, we have to use GitHub. Um, I, I think um, HubSpot is a pretty good one for oh, okay. the CRM. Like, I really like CRM tools. Yeah. I like knowing what my funnel looks like. I like being able to visualize it. I like being able to, whenever I do an email blast, to see the effects of that email blast. Um that's one of my favorite tools. Yeah, uh, you know, I recently started using HubSpot and it's, it's, it's a really uh, great product to work with, especially for marketing guys. And yeah, uh, uh, yeah you know, what, what is basically people reach out to you and know more about the Republic campaign? Uh, well, so if people want to learn more, uh, they can uh, go to our website, www.digitaldreamlabs.com. Uh, and check out there's we have a, a, a form submission also I, I talk a lot uh, to our customers directly um, so my email is jacob j-a-c-o-b at digitaldreamlabs.com and uh, you can find out more and we can have a conversation right and uh, uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes uh, thank you so much for taking out your time and speaking to us I really appreciate speaking to you Yep, great. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.